morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Caroline. I was a pastor at the river, for those of you who don't know me, um, up until two year, a few years ago when I stepped down to go back to school to learn more um, about God and the world and ourselves. Um, I get to um, share with you some of the things I've learned um, in my last semester. Um, I spoke a few weeks ago, and last time I spoke, I talked about process theology. So process theology is a way of seeing reality as fundamentally relational and connective. It imagines a God who is present in everything at all times. God who partners with the world and every being in it as they become anew every moment, including you and me. And then we reread the story of uh, creation in Genesis 1 with this understanding of God with some fun and exciting results. Traditionally, Genesis 1's uh, story is understood as the depiction of the majestic power of God who creates everything from nothing by speaking things into it, into existence. But read with the fresh lens of um, process theology, Genesis 1 actually tells the story of a dance between God and the world, where God calls and the world responds to become together, where God invites the world to bring forth life and diversity, and the world responds in an ongoing process of creation. So today's talk will build on this. So as a way of recapping uh, last my previous sermon, I thought it would be fun to share a children's story that I wrote uh, based on Genesis 1 to go along. We have a children's program downstairs and upstairs, so I wrote this story to go along with my talk. Um, so I will share this story. Let me see if I could read this, because I realize. All right. Um, can, can you see all right? <laughs> all right. The old story goes that before the heavens and the earth were, the world was unlivable. Darkness hung over an ageless ocean that was so deep it had no bottom. It had no form or shape yet. Only possibilities, exciting and scary. There was also the breath of the God who is many and one, moving over the face of the, the deep. Perhaps God was considering the possibilities. Perhaps God was whispering to it. Then God and the world began to become. The breath of God became words of invitation. God said, let the light be, and light came forth. God saw that it was good. God continued to speak invitations. Let there be open space for air. 
So the waters moved and created open space. God called it sky and saw that it was good. God then called forth the sun, the moon, and the stars to keep time, days, months, and seasons. God saw that it was good. Then God called to the waters under the sky, let's flow to one place so there may be dry ground. And the waters flowed and created dry ground. Then God called to the ground, how about plants? And the ground, of course, with the help from light, water, air, the sun, the moon, and the stars, began to sprout all kinds of plants and trees. Plants had seeds inside, so they could continue to create more plants. God saw that it was good. God kept calling to waters and the sky and the ground to bring forth life, and they did, together. The waters began to bring forth sea creatures of all kinds, and the sky began to fill with birds of all colors, shapes, and sizes. And the ground began to create animals that move on the, on the earth, insects, reptiles, furry creatures, and even humans in every color, shape, and size. God saw it all and said it was very, very good. So with God calling and the world answering, God and the world became and keep becoming even now. God is still calling to every being in the world, and they answer and become new every moment. Every moment, God is calling to the world what it can be, calling to every being, calling to you and me what we can be, and we answer according to our choices. Thank you. There's a little more to the story, but um, I'll skip that part. So in the story of creation, as you heard, um, if there are some parts that you don't quite understand why I put things that way, you could listen, listen to my previous talk. I sort of explain all that and go through the story together in that talk. But we see the picture of a God who works with the world as it is and continuously invites, into, invites it into possibilities, the best it can be in that moment. And it is the creatures that respond, that choose, and that create. In the process theologians will say that this, in essence, captures our reality. The founding figure of process philosophy um, is Alfred North Whitehead. He was a mathematician and physicist, so his imagination of this reality is closely connected to scientific understanding of the world. And based on that understanding, the theologian Messley says, each moment we, every creature, arise out of our past in relationship with the whole world in every moment, God is involved in this process, speaking to us, inviting us into what we can be. And we sometimes respond positively, 
and sometimes we don't. And these responses and choices of ours become who we are. Our responses become us. So that's one story. Are there more stories like that in the Bible? Yes. Let's take a look at another story today, this time from the New Testament. It is uh, one of the stories Jesus tells in the book of Mark, chapter 4. The short story, let me read it for us. He, Jesus, also said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown grown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. One of my favorite stories. So Genesis 1 is about the creation of the world. Now this parable is about the kingdom of God. This story is often understood as how something so small can become big when God is doing it, which is true, but there's more to it than that. In the story, we also see the partnership between God and the world, just like in Genesis 1. Even the kingdom of God comes like a seed, the smallest of seeds. Seed is like an invitation, a suggestion, a potential possibility. Seed is not like a commandment or a demand or enforcement of will. It's a lure. And the seed will become nothing unless we respond to it, unless the ground covers and feeds it, the air breathes on it, and the sun shines, and the people make space for it, unless everything in, this in, in the environment gives space for it and nurtures it, the seed won't grow into a big tree. It's not magic. It's not automatic. It's a partnership. And when this partnership happens, the story says, it, the seed grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The tree becomes part of the world, its environment. It gives as well as it receives. It becomes the sh a shelter to animals. It brings shades. It protects the ground and prevents flooding, makes the world more beautiful and more abundant with life and diversity. It flowers and produces more seeds, we can't imagine, and recreates and spreads changing and becoming part of the world. 
becoming more and more intertwined with its world. There's no separation between the tree and the environment in any meaningful way. The mustard plant shrub is not what it is independently from its environment. And the world will be vastly different. The environment will be vastly different without its existence, right? Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this, like this mustard plant. And as the mustard seed tree, mustard plant, shrub, <laughs> tree, it is intimately connected with the garden where it is planted. Just like that, the kingdom of God is intimately one with the world. It is the world. Just, there, just as there is no separation between the shrub and the garden, there's no separation between God and the world, spiritual and physical, sacred and mundane, and soul and body. You see, the mustard seed grows into a plant. I want to keep saying tree, but it's a shrub. As it does, it takes in its environment, right? The air, the water, soil, everything around the seed goes into the sea to make it grow. And vice versa. The air and the water, soil, everything in the garden also takes in from the tree, is influenced by the tree. And they become together. And the world is part of the tree, and the tree is part of the world. This is how the kingdom of God grows in us in communities. This is how anything grows in the world. This is how we are as part of this world, and how trees and birds and rivers and fish are in this world. We all become every moment rising out of our past. We're connected to our past. We're not completely freed from it. But also in relationship with the whole world, all that is around us, whether we're conscious of it or not. We take in, and with God's invitation, we choose our responses and become and in this way, the whole world is in us, and the whole world has us in it. God is in us, and every being, and we are in God. This is why in the children's story I just read, I called God, who is many and one. It is a truly relational world that we live in. The plain and true reality of our existence, the reality of the universe, is that we don't exist independently of each other. No one does. 
as some of you know, I grew up in Korea until um, in, and moved here in my mid-20s. Korean culture is different, a lot more collectivist and family-oriented and group-oriented than American culture. You're expected to bend and mold your life to fit into the culture, your family, and their expectations. Um, and individual needs are not as important as the group's needs. And I found this challenging growing up. Um, so when I first moved to America, it was liberating to live on my own terms, to choose based on what I want and what I need. But after living in the States for decades now, I see how toxic hyper-individualism also can be, as it is plainly seen during this pandemic. Just claiming sovereignty over your body does not make it true. We, are not only, we not only cannot exist without others, we also cannot exist without influencing others. So the truth lies somewhere between individualism and collectivism. We're not just cogs in the, in the machine in the service of the greater good. And we are not independently separate from each other either. Our world is interconnected and interdependent. We are distinct yet inseparable. Because every moment we take in the world around us to become who we are. This moment, I am becoming part of who you are and you are becoming part of me. We're having this experience together. We rise together, become together. And process philosophy believes that these moments, these events are the most basic units of reality, not atoms or substances. We don't bounce around and bump into each other without being changed by our interactions. Every interaction, every contact affect who we are and become part of who we are. Whether we receive it, embrace it, or reject it, it affects us. I'm not the same person as I was 10 years ago, five years ago, or technically speaking, a moment ago. Each moment, we're changed by each other. We live in a truly relational world. And this matters deeply to us because how we under, understand the world to be affects how we see, what we see, our theology, our choices and actions, and therefore who we become. The interconnectivity of the world means that we're deeply dependent on each other, shaped by each other. We share joy and pains and sufferings of the world together. We cannot wall ourselves, our world, from 
whatever that's happening outside of us. There are many implications for this, and I hope to talk about them at some point, but for today, I'll discuss two implications of our connection, connect connected world, reality. The first is that creativity and growth come from the world around you. Without input from the outside, we're bound to repeat the past, repeat what we know, right? But growth and creativity go beyond what we already know, it has to go beyond what we have already done, our past. And the possibilities for that, the new data we need, they are in the world around us. So do you want to be more creative? Do you want to grow? I assume the answer is yes. Then be aware, be awake to the world around you. That's my uh, first practical suggestion today. Pay attention to people in your life, people that you run across, people you know you don't know. Pay attention to nature, non-human beings, rivers and trees, the beauty to changes and patterns and seasons, sunsets and sunrises, and to pains and sufferings of the world. And listen. In my last sermon, I talked about listening deeply and choosing courageously. If, um, if this is something that you want to hear more about, listening deeply to the world, to God, and ourselves, um, I encourage you to check out my last talk from a few weeks ago. It's called Becoming um, with God, I think. Secondly, our interconnectivity means that there is no such thing as self-sufficiency in this world. Hate, I hate to break it to you. Um, so my second practical suggestion is to get comfortable with your neediness. We need the world to meet our needs. We need to meet others' needs. Our culture, whether individualistic or collectivist, tells us to not to have needs. In collective cultures, individual needs are burden, burden for the group. In individualistic cultures like America, it is a sign of weakness to have needs. It's not cool. And that's the biggest sin, right? Well, it works great for people with power, um, more specifically men with power, because the whole world is arranged to meet their needs. So they do not need to appear as if they have needs. But when it's, um, only when it's women, people of color, people without privilege speak up and demand their human rights, demand their needs to be met, the world tells them that they gotta earn it. 
or they gotta learn to take care of themselves, that they shouldn't be lazy. But we all have needs. We all have bodily needs, emotional and mental and spiritual needs. We have desires and wishes, and that is what it means to be alive. I recently read an essay uh, called The Crane Wife, it was very moving. Um, and I want to read a little bit of excerpt from it um, for you. Um, it says, here is what I learned once I began studying whooping cranes. She joins this uh, ex, ex, um, um, some kind of study um, to, for res preservation of the cranes. So that's what she writes about. So here is what I learned once I began studying whooping cranes. Only a small part of studying them has anything to do with the birds. Instead, we counted berries, counted crabs, measured water salinity, stood in the mud, measured the speed of the wind. It turns out, if you want to save a species, you don't spend your time staring at the bird you want to save. You look at the things it relies on to live instead. You ask if there is enough to eat and drink. You ask if there is a safe place to sleep. Is there enough here to survive? Wading through the muck of the Aranzas Reserve, I understood that every chance, is, every chance for food matters. Every pool of drinkable water matters. Every wolfberry dangling from a twig in Texas in January matters. The difference between sustaining life and not having enough was that small. If there were any, if, if there were a kind of rehab for people ashamed to have needs, maybe this was it. You will go to the Gulf, you will count every wolfberry, you will measure the depth of each puddle. Doesn't it beautifully describe the interconnectivity of our world, how intertwined the cranes are and their existence are with their environment? They're part of the environment and they need the world to survive. And so do you. Let's get comfortable with our bodies, with our needs, and be gracious to ourselves, and be gracious to others' needs. I'm gonna wrap up the talk here, and my hope for us today is that we will remember the old truth of our connectivity, because this is not new. This is an old wisdom that we've forgotten. That we each are inseparable yet distinct part of the world that we carry the whole world inside of us, and that we carry each other inside of us. We're carried by each other. I hope that this truth will inform how we see and what we see, and how we interact and choose in our lives. Thank you.